So now we know that Parliament is responsible for creating national laws. The next question that arises is how does Parliament go about creating these laws? And a very important thing to keep in mind when it comes to this discussion is that the Constitution imposes an obligation on Parliament when creating laws to involve the public. So the public, as in you and I, can always have an opportunity to have our say on a law. So let's say that Parliament intends amending the Higher Education Act um, to do away with the um, national uh, bursary financing scheme of NAFSIS and you you are all no longer going to be able to enjoy um, NAFSIS uh, in the following year, those of you who do use NAFSIS, right? Parliament wants to pass this law. Of course, this is going to impact on you significantly. And of course, you'd be understandably outraged by this law. But under the Constitution, as a member of the public, you have a right to participate in the process in which the amendment of that Higher Education Act is going to take place or the process in which a new law is created. So how do we go about creating laws or how does Parliament go about creating laws? This will usually start, but not always the case, but sometimes you will see that the process for creating laws starts with what we refer to as a green paper. So the green paper essentially just sets out uh, a particular policy position on a particular topic. So let's say we're dealing with the topic of higher education. Let's continue with that example. Uh, Parliament now wants to introduce a new law um, and the new law has got to do with a new system whereby higher education is going to be uh, funded in a manner that everybody will be able to have an opportunity to access higher education if they qualify for accessing higher education. So there's this new, new law that Parliament wants to create. So it may begin with a green paper in which a particular policy position on free higher education is set out and on the need for free higher education and how it is that uh, law should go about achieving this, right? And once that green paper is set out, it will then be released for public comment because remember, like I said, there's an obligation on the side of Parliament to involve you and I as the public in the making of that law to give us the opportunities to be involved in the making of that law, right? So now we have the green paper and Parliament gets input on the green paper around higher education and it comes back to Parliament, right? And the next thing that can be followed up by the green paper is essentially a white paper, right? Is a white paper rather. And the white paper will be similar to the green paper in that it, it, it stipulates the policy position and it will now be a refined policy position or a tweaked policy position uh, which would um, have its basis in the public comment, right? So the public might comment and it might be that by virtue of the public comment that uh, the green paper has now been reshaped. So the parliament doesn't have to change the green paper's uh, contents to align it with public comment, right? But it is the ch chances are that public comment will influence the ultimate shape of the law. And so you'll see the green paper now the being released, being followed by the white paper, which would be a revised policy position. So after we have the green paper and the white paper, we will have certain experts in the field of higher education, right, who will be responsible for drafting what we refer to as a bill. So what is a bill, right? A bill is a document that will precede a law. 
So before we have the South African Schools Act, which is a national law, if you go and look and you go research, you will see that before we had the South African Schools Act, what happened initially was that the South African Schools Bill was introduced, right? And that is the precursor that is the that precedes, that is what comes immediately before the actual act. So now experts draft this bill. And this bill is proposed legislation. So this bill essentially is formulated in a way in which the actual law will look like, right? So it's basically suggested legislation. It's a draft form of the legislation, right? Which is still in working format. It's the bill. So the bill is then published in the case of Parliament in the Government Gazette. And the Government Gazette is now published uh, and the public, again, because we have this obligation on the side of Parliament to involve us at the public, the public will again be given an opportunity to comment on this higher education bill, right? So what's usually the case is when we come into Parliament, it will either be in the National Assembly or the National Council of Provinces. In most cases, legislation can, can initiate, can be started in either the National Assembly or the National Council of Provinces, right? So if it's a case of the bill commencing in the National Assembly, what will usually happen is that the minister responsible for that bill, right, will read that bill, right, will be responsible for bringing that bill before the National Assembly, right, at the first reading of the bill. That particular minister will introduce the bill, will stand up and say, this is the bill on higher education financing, the purpose of this bill is to da-da-da-da, this bill in general says X, Y, and Z. And so the minister comes on the floor of the assembly and he introduces the bill in this format, right? So in our case, it will be the minister responsible for higher education. We'll have Minister Nizamandi come up onto the floor of the National Assembly and introduce this bill on higher education financing. Uh, another example, for instance, would be if it is an issue related to electricity, um, and it's that it would fall under the portfolio of the Minister of Public Enterprise. And then if this law is going to be created, the Minister of Public Enterprise, Praveen Gordon, will come onto the floor of the National Assembly and say, this is the so-and-so bill, and it's intended to take X and Y, and in brief it says Z and F, right? And the bill is introduced on the floor of the National Assembly. So once the bill is introduced in the floor, on the floor of the National Assembly, it is then assigned to a particular portfolio committee within Parliament, right? So each, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Each, um, I'm struggling to get the word here. So if you have um, a portfolio, a particular minister responsible for a particular portfolio, like we have the minister responsible for higher education, that particular portfolio, and we have a minister responsible for public enterprises, that particular portfolio, each of those portfolios will have a corresponding committee, a corresponding portfolio committee in Parliament, which is made up of a smaller number of members of Parliament. And in those portfolio committees, you are going to find your majority party representatives and you're also going to be finding your, your EFF or your um, IFP or your UDM representative sitting in on that portfolio committee as well and comprising that portfolio committee. And this excuse me, portfolio committee is responsible for analyzing this bill that the Minister of Higher Education has introduced on the floor of the National Assembly, the Higher Education Portfolio Committee will analyze this bill. And a nice thing is that often 
The members of civil society will even give an opportunity. They might be able to write a submission on what they think this bill should or shouldn't say. And the portfolio committee might invite them and say, we've read your submission when there was an opportunity for public comment. And we found your submission very interesting. Can you please come to us as the portfolio committee and give us a presentation on your submission? Right. So the portfolio committee, members of the public can go in and go, go, go in and sit on the deliberations of the portfolio committee. Because another issue when it comes to parliament is that it needs to be open and transparent. The constitution mandates as much, which means we and us as the public should be able to access parliament. So we can actually go and sit in on these portfolio committee meetings and we can see the law being made in that the process within which the law is being made right we can see the wheels turning we can be there to witness that because parliament has to be transparent so we now have the representatives of the portfolio committee analyzing the bill analyzing this provision but no this won't work and yes this will work and no this will this will deter um, access to higher education and yes this will create more avenues for accessing higher education and so they will bash it about and they will come up with a revised version of the bill, right? And this new revised version of the bill will be again introduced in our case, which we had started in the National Assembly and the Minister of Higher Education introduced it. You will see that this revised bill on higher education financing will again be presented in the National Assembly for what we refer to as a second reading. And after that second reading, it will be then referred to the other House of Parliament, which in this case will be the National Council of Provinces. So keep in mind, in certain instances, a bill can be initiated in the National Council of Provinces and then be sent to the National Assembly. But for purposes of our example, we have the bill that has been introduced by Bladeners a Monday in the National Assembly. It has been sent to the Portfolio Committee on Higher Education. It has been hashed about there and it has been uh, tweaked over there and changed over there. And that new revised bill on higher education financing is coming back to the floor of the National Assembly and members of the National Assembly, our 400 members of the National Assembly must vote and the bulk of members vote in favour, the majority of members vote in favour of that National Higher Education Financing Bill. It is then sent to the National Council of Provinces to, to take a vote on the particular bill, right? And then all the members of the National Council of Provinces, every single representative will have an opportunity to cast their vote on this higher education financing bill, right? So now, after a bill has been successfully passed, right, the requisite process has been followed and all the, the majorities and et cetera has been obtained now, um, in those instances where the bill has been successfully passed, the bill then gets sent to President, in this case, Cyril Ramaphosa, for signing that bill. And it's only once Cyril Ramaphosa signs that bill, he's got the million-dollar signature, because once him as president signs the bill, the bill is then made law. So the question arises, when is it, we've got many laws on our books, when is it that parliament decides to pass new laws, right? And a simple uh, example would be where we have changes in society, we have developments in society, which creates a need for new legislation that did not exist before the, that the, these changing needs in society and before these developments in society. So, for instance, um, South Africa in recent surveys have shown that we are the third highest uh, um, country when it comes to being impacted by cyber crimes and when it comes to people being victims of cyber crimes. So now we know this information. We know that South Africa has got a fast um, growing cyber crime um, issue. 
And so Parliament recognizes that there's a problem and Parliament introduces the cyber the Cyber Crimes Act, and in the Cyber Crimes Act, the Act goes and defines different types of cyber crimes, and with each definition of a different type of cyber crime, the Act proposes certain penalties, right, or imposes certain penalties that need to be um, that a, a judicial officer is required to now follow, right, if the person is convicted of that particular cyber crime. Another example would be when there's defects in the law. So the law itself is problematic, right? A classic example is the, the case of Fouri. It's a constitutional court decision in which the definition of marriage was challenged because it only referred to marriages between husbands and wives, heterosexual partnerships, right? And the constitutional court found that this definition was unconstitutional because it referred to, a, to someone being married to a husband and not someone merely being married to another spouse, be it a man or a woman, whatever the case may be, right? And so the the Constitutional Court says that this needs to be, this law needs to be adjusted to make provision for any spouse and not only husbands, but the Constitutional Court leaves this to Parliament and says this is a defect in the law, this is unconstitutional because of this defect, but we're going to leave it to you and you now have 12 months within which to change the law so in that instance parliament will will see there's a defect in the existing law and will pass an amendment act to the marriages act so it will be the marriage marriages amendments act right of whatever the case may be whatever year it may be and in that marriages amendment act parliament will amend that particular provisions in the marriages act that's got to do with the particular gender or sex of one person who is marrying another person right to ensure that it is no longer unconstitutional, the definition, in that it no longer prevents homosexual people from getting married. So another example is if there are gaps in the law. So law fails to address a particular issue, right? So at the point in time when we had our new democracy and S versus Makwanyana was decided and was decided that the death penalty was unconstitutional, there were a significant number of people sitting in prison in South Africa at the time who had been imprisoned uh, who had been sentenced to death. And so there was nothing on the law books to deal with this issue because now the Constitutional Court has said that the death penalty uh, is unconstitutional. And so Parliament was required to enact laws to address this gap in the law so as to create a law as to what was now going to happen to all of those people who were sentenced to death, right? To create an amendment to the existing law, in fact. So in that instance, we see that there was a gap in the law and Parliament was now compelled to create a law in order to address that gap in the law. So there's three instances where we will see this happening, where there are defects in the law, like the definition of marriage in the Marriages Act, where there are gaps in the law in the case where the death penalty was uh, found unconstitutional, but there was no provision in the law to address the issue of how these people have been sentenced to death and what should happen to them now, and where we see these changing needs in society, like we see the cyber crime, the cyber crimes act that was recently enacted.